0: Welcome to Official Ignorance, the Death in Custody podcast, hosted by Dr. Roger Mitchell Jr. and Professor Jay Aronson. You are now listening to the sounds of Official Ignorance.
1: Listen, we're back again, another episode of Official Ignorance, the Death in Custody podcast. And today we're going to be doing a little something different. I think that, you know, we've been doing this work and a lot of what we've been doing has been happening in the real world. People have been having conversations, official conversations about this issue of death and custody. And and one of the official conversations that have been had is a hearing um, that was led by Senator Ossoff.
2: Yep, John Ossoff from Georgia. He is part of a group that provides oversight to the US government and the justice system. And uh, he realized that one of the things that we've been talking a lot about, which is the failure of the Death in Custody Reporting Act to be implemented, was actually having a major effect on the government's ability to know how many people are dying in prisons and jails. So he convened a a panel. It, It was a mix of families of people who had died in custody, people from government agencies like the Bureau of Justice Statistics and the Bureau of Justice assistants, as well as uh, experts, friends of ours like Andrea Armstrong, to really look at this issue and to try and figure out what was going on. And because this is happening during the time that we're writing the book and because our ideas are being discussed in this hearing, uh, we thought it might make sense to actually listen to some of the hearing and to discuss it with our listeners.
1: It's called The Hearing on Uncounted Deaths in U.S. Prisons and it's the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, because I want our listeners to be able to go and, and be able to hear it and, and look at this hearing for themselves.
2: Yeah, exactly. The top line finding from this uh, hearing is that the government misses more than a thousand deaths in a single year, and likely more. They say 990, um, knowing that it's more, uh, but, but that's the kind of hook that they use to discuss this issue. So let, let's take a listen and see what we can
3: find out. Today, after a 10-month bipartisan investigation, we can reveal that despite a clear charge from Congress to determine who is dying in prisons and jails across the country, where they are dying, and why they are dying, the Department of Justice is failing to do so. This failure undermines efforts to address the urgent humanitarian crisis ongoing behind bars across the country. Our investigation has revealed that last year alone, according to GAO analysis that I requested, the Department of Justice failed to identify at least 990 deaths in custody, nearly 1,000 uncounted deaths. And the true number is likely much higher. We will hear today from Belinda Maley and Vanessa Fano, whose loved ones died preventably while in custody. In both cases, sons and brothers who died while they were pretrial detainees having been convicted of no crime. And we are here today because what the United States is allowing to happen on our watch in prisons, jails and detention centers nationwide is a moral disgrace. As federal legislators serving on the nation's preeminent investigative panel, it is our obligation to investigate the federal government's complicity in this disgrace. Therefore, it's our obligation to ask what tools the Department of Justice is using to protect the constitutional rights of the incarcerated, to hold DOJ accountable when it fails to use those tools, and to furnish better, more powerful tools with which the Department can defend civil rights and civil liberties. There are some bright spots. For example, I was encouraged when Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark announced a DOJ investigation of conditions in Georgia's horrific state prisons almost one year ago today. But it has become clear in the course of this investigation that the Department is failing in its responsibility to implement the Death in Custody Reporting Act. That is, the Department is failing to determine who is dying behind bars, where they are dying, and why they are dying, and therefore failing to determine where and which interventions are most urgently needed to save lives. In 2000, and then again in 2014, Congress passed the Death in Custody Reporting Act, also known as DICRA, tasking DOJ with the collection and analysis of custodial death data nationwide. DOJ itself describes this law as, quote, an opportunity to improve understanding of why deaths occur in custody and develop solutions to prevent avoidable deaths. For nearly 20 years, DOJ collected and published this data, an invaluable resource for the department, for the Congress, and for the public. Then, abruptly, the publication stopped, and our investigation followed. We found that in recent years, and over multiple administrations, the department's implementation of this law has failed. Despite clear internal warnings from DOJ's own inspector general, and DOJ's Bureau of Justice Statistics. For example, in the first quarter of fiscal year 20, the department did not capture any state prison deaths in 11 states or any jail deaths in 12 states in the District of Columbia. In FY21 alone, according to GAO analysis produced at our request, the department failed to identify nearly 1,000 deaths. And my assessment is the true number is is likely much higher. Of those recorded, 70 percent of the records were incomplete and 40 percent of records failed to capture the circumstances of death the department of justice has failed to collect complete or accurate state and local death data for the past two years and failed to report to congress how data about deaths in custody can be used to save lives a report required by law that is now six years past due and we recently learned is not expected to be produced for another two years. PSI's investigation also found the department has no plans to make state and local deaf data public again, despite the obvious public interest in this transparency. Americans are needlessly dying and are being killed while in the custody of their own government. In our July hearing, focused on the federal prison system, We revealed that federal pretrial detainees have been denied proper nutrition, hygiene, and medical care, endured months of lockdowns with limited or no access to the outdoors or basic services, and had rats and roaches infesting their cells. We revealed that federal inmates killed themselves while the basic practices of suicide prevention and wellness checks were neglected. Abusive and unconstitutional practices by the federal government that likely led to loss of life in federal facilities. We revealed that the Bureau of Prisons, an agency of the Department of Justice, was warned for years by its own investigators of corruption and misconduct in its own facility, and of a, quote, lack of regard for human life by its own personnel. Today, we will hear about the experiences of Americans in state and local prisons and jails, Americans entitled to constitutional rights no matter where they are incarcerated, no matter whether they are incarcerated. And we'll hear about Americans who died in custody, many of whose deaths and causes of death are not being counted by the federal government as the federal government is bound to count them. The same federal government obligated to defend their constitutional rights.
1: So Jay, the name of this podcast is Official Ignorance, but we just played a clip that showed us that We truly know that there is a problem if you didn't believe us, right, our listeners, if you didn't believe us that there was a undercounting, if there was a lack of attention to the death that are occurring in custody, to death in custody across the continuum, if you didn't believe that there was a problem, this is, what what did he call it? The preeminent governmental accountability and investigative body of Congress, this permanent subcommittee on investigations. Mm-hmm. He said it. He described what they were going to get into in the hearing and laid out for us and, and our listeners, if they hadn't heard it before, the fact that we don't know today how many people are dying in the care of our criminal legal system.
2: I think it's important to recognize that Asaf is an agent of the government who recognizes that the system that he works for and represents is failing. And, and the words that he used, the phrases that he used really stuck with me. They've been with me since he first uttered them uh, more than a year ago. He calls this a fundamental rights issue a humanitarian crisis. I mean, you don't have to take our word for it. You don't have to take a forensic pathologist and a human rights practitioner's work for it. This is a US senator who has access to information about what's happening within our government, saying that the institution, the body that he works for is failing. It's failing people. It's failing citizens. It's not doing its job. And we have to hold this system accountable. Uh, The other thing that I really appreciated that he did was, in addition to framing this as an issue of constitutional rights and human rights, he also makes it very clear that this is a public health issue. He calls them out as needless deaths. He says, we're not counting them. We're not capturing the causes. And the reason that matters is because we have an obligation as a democratic country to protect and promote life and liberty. And we need to take a public health approach when we do that. I mean, we could talk for hours just on that, that little clip, but it's so important that Asaf is calling this out and making sure that everyone knows about it and reading it into the record of the U.S. Senate.
1: Yeah, you know, it bears repeating this constitutional and human rights issue um, that he says, we don't know who's dying, we don't know where they're dying, and we don't know what they're dying from. He, he, he lists that out. Um, and and he calls out the Department of Justice. He says that there's a report that's six years overdue as to how we can prevent the deaths. This is interesting to me. I don't know how lawyers and attorneys can determine how you can prevent death. I'm trying to understand what part of the game does Department of Justice know about preventing death, preventing disease, preventing injury. You know, it's peculiar to me that you would relegate the responsibility of determining how to prevent and how to ensure the proper healthcare delivery. Cause he he goes into access to care, he goes into, you know, conditions of the jail, he goes into these things um, that really scratch at the surface of this being a public health issue, but yet. Mm-hmm no one is talking about the importance of the public health infrastructure to understand and prevent these deaths. To me, that is utterly confusing. It's so myopic. And that's why it's so important for us to have this conversation, because I don't see how you can ask law enforcement to know how to prevent that. That's not what they do. They don't prevent deaths. That's not what they do. Just like really any other type of death in this country, you need an interdisciplinary and and, and multidisciplinary approach. And so it's interesting to me that um, he talks about the Deaths in Custody Reporting Act as having particular tools and, and how to utilize those tools. And I think that we're missing a couple tools in that toolbox that we, in our estimation, in our work, uh, we give, I think, the, the most critical tool to understanding this issue.
2: So, Senator Assoff, if you're listening to this podcast, you should have Roger come and testify about the importance of the public health approach and about adding a checkbox to the U.S. standard death certificate. He'll accept your invitation, I promise.
1: Yeah, you know, matter of fact, I just emailed him. I just, oh, emailed, nice. him. I, I just Excellent. emailed his staffers.
2: So, Excellent. so, you know,
1: hopefully the staffers will hit us back. They ask in the email how many people want to come see him. I said three. You know, me, Dr. Aronson, and the black futurist. That's that's who's going to to his office.
2: All right, well, I'm waiting.
0: For many years following DICRA's enactment in 2000, our Bureau of Justice Statistics collected data called for by DICRA, which it continued to do even after the law expired six years later. All told, BJS has published 40 reports on the topic, which we have provided a wealth of information on causes of death and characteristics of the facilities where the deaths occurred. Then in 2013, an update to DICRA was introduced. Signed into law the following year, the new law expanded the original DICRA. It mandated reporting by federal law enforcement agencies. It added a study requirement focused on using the data to identify ways to reduce deaths in custody. Perhaps of greatest consequence, it gave the Attorney General the discretion to reduce funding to non-compliant states under the Edward Byrne Memorial Justice Assistance Grants Program. Through the JAG program, OJP provides over $273 million annually in funding for general purposes, law enforcement, and criminal justice activities throughout the nation. This last requirement posed a dilemma. As a federal statistical agency, BGS is prohibited from using its data for for any purpose other than statistics or research. Though DICRA of 2013 was well-intentioned, it had unintended negative consequences for the state and local collections. For one, since DICRA currently requires the department to receive all information centrally from states, we can no longer collect data directly from state and local agencies as we once did. Second, the penalty provided under DICRA of 2013 actually has the potential to punish states and local agencies that comply with the law. If, for example, local agencies decline to report to their state, that state's reporting to the department will be incomplete. Even though that state may submit all of the data it actually received, it could still suffer the funding penalty. Furthermore, since these grants pass through states to local jurisdictions, even the local agencies that fully report their information would feel the effects of a penalty applied in their state. Finally, we can no longer assign the collection to BJS which had achieved a nearly 100% response rate while it administered the program. We are working hard to achieve more comprehensive reporting from states. We continue to provide training and assistance to states to improve reporting, and we are developing new methods for assessing state compliance and providing feedback to help improve reporting. In the meantime, we look to Congress to help us programmatically improve the quality and completeness of data, and we have a proposal for how to do that. For instance, we are asking to collect data directly from local agencies and open sources and enable us to restrict the funding penalty to non-compliant agencies instead of applying it statewide. We are also proposing a new grant program to help better equip agencies across the country to collect and report on deaths in custody. The death in c- The Death in Custody Reporting Act is one of the many vital tools in restoring the full integrity of our justice system. The department provides tens of millions of dollars in resources to states, local communities, and tribes to improve the way incarcerated people are treated and to support efforts to reduce arrest-related deaths through law enforcement training and programs focused on building law enforcement and community trust.
1: So we just heard about the Deaths in Custody Reporting Act, and some of the relevant history surrounding its implementation and some of its limitations over the years. And we know that the Deaths in Custody Reporting Act started with some work that we, we talk about from Mike Masterson uh, as a journalist that came out of Arkansas and then spent some time in Chicago where he uncovered some um, inconsistencies within the Cook County coroner's office cook county medical examiner's office and then and then spent some of his career with asbury park press where he really did some work and brought this national issue of a underreporting of death in custody uh to congressman bobby scott and i know we talk about that in another episode but just for context sake and now we're hearing in a recent panel in front of the preeminent investigative group in the Senate, an explanation, not quite an explanation, somewhat of an explanation of why the Deaths in Custody Reporting Act is falling short now. So Jay, you know, uh, you have a lot to say about this. What are your thoughts?
2: Every time I hear or read about this bureaucratic problem that emerged, in the reauthorization of the death in custody reporting act it it kind of drives me crazy you have a statistical agency within the department of justice that for all of the limitations of the actual data that is made available to the public it's it's aggregated it's not it's impossible to know how many people are dying in any given facility or at an agency for all of those issues they managed to achieve a nearly 100% reporting uh, uh, result that they knew for a period of time how many people were dying in this country's prisons and jails. Why? In part because the prisons and jails themselves and, and regional and state actors found that it was useful for them to know how they were doing. So you have a system that works reasonably well as public health advocates as activists as lawyers we can criticize the fact that that data wasn't made public in its uh, granular form but someone somewhere knew what was going on fast forward to the reauthorization the way that the law is enforced as a, a a penalty and suddenly bjs is no longer allowed to collect the data because Data from BJS can't be used for law enforcement purposes, including the enforcement of rules and laws that are meant to tell the DOJ what to do. So a grant-making body within the Department of Justice suddenly has to gather data and statistics, and it doesn't have the capacity to do that. And throughout this hearing, you hear Maureen uh, Henneberg doing her best to complain about how impossible it is as an administrator within the government to get a grants administration organization or agency to be a statistical agency when all the statisticians are across the hall in another department
1: and so across the hall in another department
2: and they can't communicate they can't because the the Bureau of Justice Statistics can't collect statistics that get used
1: for Law, Law enforcement, enforcement
2: purposes, purposes. They, and they're and, suddenly
1: what, neutered. It, what's What's interesting about the hearing? I hope that our listeners go and actually watch this thing, and listen to it. Not just this panel, which is the panel of experts, but the panel of families that have been mm-hmm. impacted. Right, and the panel, in that same panel, our our, our friend is on, um, uh, Dr. Armstrong.
2: Armstrong. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and but it's bipartisan, and there's a point in which Ron. Uh, ron Ron johnson Johnson. yeah right from a republican out of wisconsin i love i love this guy you know i love this guy because he goes straight to the heart of it he's like listen why can't you get this done he said i was in industry i would have had this thing done in 10 seconds something like these some bombastic thing he said but the reality of it is is that this is a nonpartisan issue understanding how the federal government is collecting data on how many people are dying in our in our federal, state, and local jails and prisons, and this 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 nuance between BJS and BJA is a fallacy. It should not exist. We should be able to collect at the same level of um, intentionality, no matter who is at the top of the pyramid required to make that data collection. Um, But let me tell you, you know why they can't do it? It's because they're not a death collection organization. Mm -hmm. They were never established to be a collector of vital statistics for this country. There is only one entity that is responsible for collecting death data, every single bit of death data in this country. And that's the National Vital Statistics System that falls within the Centers for Disease Control. And right now, no one's talking about the fact that they are the ones within our system that are required to collate death in general and should make an effort to collect death in custody.
2: We should move on to Greta Goodwin.
4: I appreciate the opportunity to discuss the actions DOJ has taken to address the data collection and reporting requirements in the Death and Custody Reporting Act of 2013, DICRA, and the extent to which DOJ has studied and used the data collected from states. As already discussed, DICRA was enacted in 2014 to ensure, to encourage the study and reporting of deaths in custody. Federal agencies and states that receive certain federal funding are required to report this information to DOJ. DOJ is to study the federal and state data, examine how the information can be used to reduce deaths in custody, and report its findings to the Congress. In 2015, DOJ began collecting data on the deaths of people in the custody of federal law enforcement. As of fiscal year 2020, DOJ reported 2,700 deaths in federal custody. While the agency collects the same information at the state and local level, it is not actually reported on these deaths. DOJ began collecting information from states on death in custody about three years ago. Agency officials told us they plan to continue collecting state data, but they have not said whether or how they will use the information to address deaths in custody. DOJ cites missing and or incomplete data from states as one of the reasons why they have not studied the state information. We found similar concerns when we examined the data. For example, of the 47 states that submitted data, only two submitted all the required information. Some states did not account for all deaths in custody. Using publicly available reports, we identified nearly 1,000 deaths that occurred during fiscal year 2021 that states did not report to DOJ. Four states did not report any deaths, yet we found that at least 124 deaths had occurred in those states. DOJ has noted that it is a top priority to improve the quality and completeness of state reporting. In 2016, the agency acknowledged that determining state compliance with Dicra would help improve the quality of the data, and they have a goal to help ensure states comply with Dicra. However, as of this month, September 2022, DOJ still has not determined whether states have complied. While DOJ collects data from states, Dicra does not require DOJ to publish state data, and the agency has no plans to do so. Importantly, after DOJ's DICRA data collection efforts began, it discontinued a long-standing program that collected and published data on deaths of people in state and local correctional institutions, the Mortality and Correctional Institutions Program. DOJ had used these data to publish reports and provide statistical information on deaths in correctional institutions. This published information allowed Congress, researchers, and the public to view and study the data. While the Mortality and Correctional Institutions Report was made publicly available, the Dicker report may not be available to the public. This lack of transparency would be a great loss in the public's understanding of deaths in custody. Given that 1.5 million people were incarcerated in state prisons and local jails at the end of 2020, Statistics on deaths in custody are a valuable resource for understanding mortality in the criminal justice system. DOJ has made some progress toward addressing what it calls a profoundly important issue, but significant work remains. Because right now, DOJ and states are expending resources to compile a national data set that may not be studied or published potentially missing an opportunity to inform practices to help reduce deaths in custody. We are encouraging Congress to consider whether Dicra should be amended to ensure that DOJ uses the data it collects from states for recurring study and reporting to Congress and the public. And to help enhance the quality of the data, we are recommending that DOJ develop a plan to determine state compliance with Dicra.
2: What I have to say to that, is, first of all, we we do a blow-by-blow account of all of that activity in our book and certainly don't want to go over that here. But uh, I think that Greta Goodwin does a really good job of laying out the the problems that we face now. A- yeah. And I think the only conclusion that we can really come to is that we need to find a better way to do this and we have a better way to do this. And we neither of us would ever for a second say that the DOJ should give up on this process of Uh, of accounting for death in custody. But it's pretty clear that for a variety of reasons, we can't rely on DOJ to do it. I think they can be part of the solution, but they can't be the solution. I think it's a kind of self-explanatory reaction when, when you hear her lay the problem out like that.
1: No, you know, this is what gives me, I've been working on this since 1999, right? And so people ask me, well, you know, do you think it'll ever get done? Do you think there'll ever be a checkbox on the U.S. standard death certificate that says death in custody, yes or no, so that we can capture it? And it's these types of hearings with, you know, people like uh, Greta Goodwin and Senator Ossoff and Ron Johnson and this committee and this hearing that tells me that, yes, we're getting close. We're getting close to people saying, "Okay, looking around for the solutions," and and now we're here. Hey, we've been talking about this, you know, for for se- for several years about how we can capture this data in a way that everyone gets a death certificate, and these physicians, coroners, medical examiners. We're not suggesting that it's going to be perfect, Jay. You know, we're not saying that. The data collection is going to be perfect out the gate. There's going to have to be work, just like maternal mortality and understanding how our women are dying in childbirth. There was work that and continued work to make sure that that data is clean, right? Um, And so I I think that it's these types of hearings that let us know that not everybody's head is in the sand on this issue, that there are people within government and outside of government that are taking this issue seriously and really want to understand the data, not just for the data's sake, right? Not just because we're putting numbers, but actually want that data because they believe the data can lead to prevention. And... Uh, decrease suffering and improve care of those people that are most vulnerable, those people that are in the care of our criminal legal system. Next clip.
3: I want to begin, Dr. Goodwin, just by making sure that it's clear what you found. I think in some ways the most powerful and alarming piece of data that you and your team unearthed at the request of the subcommittee is that In 2021, you found nearly 1,000 deaths in state or local facilities that the department did not capture, and you found them through a review of open sources, is that correct?
4: That's correct, Senator. So the way that 1,000 deaths kind of breaks out, and actually it's 990, but we say nearly a thousand. So the way that breaks out is like 341 of those deaths that we discovered were in state correctional facilities. And so how did we get there? So we basically use public publicly available data. Some states will, when they're doing their annual statistical reporting, they provide that information. So we went through and did, you know, as thorough of an of an analysis as we could to get to the three. 341 then the other the remaining deaths the 649 deaths again we use publicly available data and we use a couple of databases that collect information um, on deaths that happen when someone is placed under, under arrest or when someone a death happens in custody and so that's how we arrived at the nearly 1,000 deaths so but th- for the most part a lot of this was publicly available data. One more thing I forgot to add. So for the 341 deaths, it was publicly available data, and we had access to some of the DICRA records, and we went through and tried to do some matching.
3: Thank you, Dr. Goodwin. Nearly 1,000 deaths uncounted last year alone.
2: I don't think either of us are surprised by that. It's, It's what you expect in a system that functions the way that this one does.
1: You know what I like? I like about how he started off that 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 dialogue, is he said he said your team unearthed. You know, I that that struck me as it, you know it, to the core. You know, as a as a pathologist, as a forensic pathologist, as someone who, you know, have has been in positions where I had to unearth.
2: Literally. Remains, Literally unearthed. Uh, like yeah. you know,
1: where we had to had to truly unearth the truth. Um uh that that use of that term unearth is is really at the center of what we're trying to do here as we're trying to truly bring to light things that uh, are, are in darkness uh surrounding this issue. And and so the, I love the fact that he used that term.
3: Next clip. The the Bureau of Justice Assistance started collecting state and local death data in 2019. The Bureau of Justice Statistics, or BJS, which had previously collected this data, in fact for two decades collected this data with success, analyzed the data that the Bureau of Justice Assistance collected in 2020 and produced a report in May of 2021. It identified some significant issues that BJA did not capture any state or prison deaths in 11 states or any jail deaths in 12 states in the District of Columbia, that from October to December of 2019, BJA missed at least 592 deaths. Were these results concerning to the Department of Justice?
0: The Department of Justice, um, over the uh, two, three years that we have been collecting the data, we have seen the underreporting from states. Um, um, Under DICRA 2013, states are... having to collect data from their local um, agencies and they are centrally reporting to BJA. Um, the states are reporting um, great challenges. Um, I think um, GAO's report will, will, will show this and we we have heard the same thing from our states. The states have um, n- no leverage um, to compel the local their local agencies to report the data.
3: Thank you, Ms. Henneberg. I, I uh, appreciate your perspective on that.
0: Um, um, thank you for the question. Um, uh, I think it's important that uh, to, to describe when B- BJS is collecting the data, they were able to go directly to local agencies, um, local correctional institutes, um, jails, and collect that data. Under DICRA 2013, BJS is presented with um, working with the state's as central reporters, which is a um, significant co- contributor to the under-reporting and the incomplete data.
2: You know, I actually feel bad for Ms. Henneberg in that situation that she is being asked to answer to bad legislation from the agency that has to implement it. She, she tries over and over again to highlight the bind that DOJ is in, that they actually can't use the mechanism that works. To collect the data anymore because of a mistake that was made, or or maybe sabotage. I don't. I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I don't know. Maybe someone knew that that changing the law in the way that they did might cause some trouble. Um, I I can't can't address that, but she is left to answer for a poorly written law, and is hoping that it can be fixed in some way. Uh, but that's you know that that's that's my uh, that's my reaction to that
1: she says it you know she says it the state you know they're hamstrung even though the law creates these outcomes that if you don't comply then you may not have access to federal monies even though there's some repercussions for not engaging in this data collection at the state local level somehow that's an impediment but yet they didn't enforce the law so it's an impediment to the data, but they're not withholding any monies from the state and local governments. I didn't hear I, her say that they're withholding any penalty or creating that penalty. I so, don't
2: think that it would be possible, quite honestly, I don't think it would be possible to exactly. actually withhold money. And and in conversations that we had with uh, with Bobby Scott and members of his administration at the time, this conversation discussion around how the law would be enforced um, was was not easy to work out. And the other thing that you need to keep in mind is that the Obama administration towards the end of Obama's uh, second term had developed a whole action plan to use these open sources and to work around the question of penalizing states if some of the agencies or institutions within their purview didn't actually submit information. And then because the federal government had to go through these state reporting centers, they couldn't get to the the local administration. The Obama administration was looking for ways to kind of smooth that over, to not cause states to get alarmed. The Trump administration comes in and actually gets rid of a lot of that uh, architecture that had been put into place. So this is not only a, a problem of the way that the legislation was written, this is a problem or a challenge of... The, the Trump administration not really wanting to administer this particular law in the way that it was uh, supposed to be administered. So I think we can share the, the blame if there is blame to be had. Um, we can share responsibility across a wide variety of, of actors within the, the government. But the bottom line is that we're always trying to retrofit a system and a set of agencies that are not meant to collect death data to collect death data in very challenging situations. And that's the problem that we need to address.
1: Yeah, in a a mechanism that's not set up to collect death data, where we have the most advanced death data collection system in the world, and we're not using it to collect death data surrounding those who die in custody.
2: So before we move on, uh, I, I have a question for you that is uh it's a complicated question it has to do with that issue that we live in a society with a federalist government um that federalism is the kind of uh rule of order that anything that's not explicitly granted to the federal government as a power is retained by states or by people so one of the things that you've been talking about and that we've been talking about for a long time is the addition of the checkbox on the u.s standard death certificate What guarantee do we have that states will add that checkbox to their death certificate and actually enforce the proper filling out of the form so that when there is a death in custody, it will actually be noted as such on a death certificate in a state like Florida that doesn't always cooperate with the federal government, particularly with the governor uh, in office. Now, how, how do you kind of make all of that work?
1: Well, I mean, to your point, right, there is no guarantee. There's no guarantee. This is another bureaucratic mechanism that the federal government provides resources to the state for the collection of both birth and death data through the National Vital Statistics System. And there is a series of elements on a death certificate that are mandatory to be filled out and provided back to the public health infrastructure of this country, state by state. Um, and there was times where there wasn't good compliance in the you know mid 1900s, 1950s. There wasn't really good compliance, um, but we have moved and matured as a death data and data for health type of construct, we've matured um, over 75 years to collect data to the point in which uh, when COVID occurred, we were able to collect real time actionable death data from COVID deaths just through a call to action by the Centers for Disease Control to those of us that certify death. We were given instructions on how to write our death certificates when we thought COVID was causing death. And we complied because it was of a national issue. We wanted to make sure that that data was collated and could be captured in a way that was demonstrable of the burden of disease and the uh, death that occurred from the burden of disease so that we could understand what parts of the country um, were were more heavily affected, what parts of the states were more heavily affected. And we were able to see real-time dashboards that were being updated and reported upon to the lay public through our media. And at the end of the day, that was at the stroke of the pen of people like me. People like me that were certifying COVID-related deaths daily on the thousands, right? And we did it at a way that we were all doing it the same way so that we could have actionable data. That happened during opioids. Now, it didn't happen as quick. Opioid death reporting occurred over a little bit of time to get compliance to that but that actually set the stage in understanding that epidemic that set the stage for when COVID happened we were sensitized as as death certifiers exactly what we needed to do when the CDC rang the alarm and said hey listen we would like you to certify your deaths this way do it this way there are working groups on larger disasters as well so that we can capture disaster related deaths. There's a whole series of modernization of the death record system that's occurring right now with the CDC where they're trying to be even faster and even better through trainings and through communication, through a better electronic death record. So there's a lot of movement surrounding the death record and how to report that death record that a lot of us are excited about those of us that certify death for a living. And deaths in custody, quite frankly, can be placed in this milieu. It could be placed in this conversation at a public health level and, a, and, and at a vital records level to say, hey, listen, there is a national need to know on how many people are dying in and around the criminal legal system from the pre-arrest phase all the way to the jail incarceration phase. Hey, death certifiers in this country, we need you to rally around the use of this checkbox. And this is how you do it. And these are the video um, education tools that we're giving to you to be able to make the decision on what's a death in custody and what's not. And this is how easy it is and this is what you do uh, so that we can capture this data and let the country know how many people are suffering or dying in jails and prisons and around law enforcement in this country. So there are constructs for this. And that's why it's so important for us to have this conversation so that people can understand that that it's not new when we're trying to understand a disease or sets of diseases or injuries or sets of injuries that are affecting a population in this country and what we're calling for is we need to turn on our public health infrastructure to understand the issue of death and custody in this country.
4: What are you talking about there? Are you talking about death certificates? Or are you talking about reports that states and local governments just published and you just were able to tap into those things? I will say, um, Senator, it's a little bit of both. So for some states, when they report their deaths, that information shows up in like an, an end of the year annual statistical supplement. So we went through those state that, that and we basically d- did a Google search to see what we could find. Okay, so, How many people did you have GAO, uh, take a look at this? Uh, Two. You had two people oh, over, what, over sept- what length of time? From May to September, May 2022 to September 2022. Okay, so was that about five months? Yeah. yeah. I'd have to do my fingers. Mm-hmm. But, um, so you had two people, and with two people working for a few months, you determined that uh, we were missing close to 1,000 death reports because you were able to find them just with open source reporting basically. That's correct. A lot of it was open source reporting, um, a lot of it, you know, publicly available data and some of the databases that do collect this information, the non-DOJ databases.
1: I like the fact that Senator Johnson is really in this clip, he's elucidating how, how easy it is, right? You know, not that it's easy, right, because it's not, you know, there's work that needs to be done, but how if you're looking for and trying to do the right thing, then you can get to the truth of how many people are dying through this mechanism, right? Through a Department of Justice, through an open source. And I think that's, you know, the Department of Justice, they talked about utilizing now open source uh, mechanisms to be able to gather more accurate data similar to how GAO did it. Um, But I I think it's an important point that, that Senator Johnson is making here in that there is not just one way of collecting this data, there needs to be multiple ways of collecting this data if you're gonna have a complete data set.
3: According to your analysis of DOJ's data from last year, we already discussed nearly a thousand deaths that your team was able to identify through open sources uncounted in the DOJ data. Is it also the case, my understanding is that 70% of the death and custody records produced by states to the department were incomplete. And 40% of those records did not even include a description of the circumstances of death. Is that correct?
4: That's correct, Senator. So under DICRA, there's certain types of information that are supposed to be reported. One, you know, the the race, ethnicity, gender of the, the individual who's deceased, the location of the of the, of the, de- of the death that happened, you know what was occurring during that time. So there are a number of different elements, shall we say, that should be reported to Dicra when, when under Dicra that when they're making reports about what happened. When we looked at the data, as you said, 70% had X amount, 40% had X amount, and so that was a concern as well. I will also like to add, Senator, that our nearly 1,000 deaths that we found, we believe that's an undercount. You know, we were doing a very quick but thorough analysis based on what was available to us, but we are mindful that some of that information might not have been reported anywhere or might have been misreported, and so we do believe that that's an undercount. It's another reason why we're calling on DOJ to do what they can to ensure state compliance with DICRA so that we can have a more accurate picture of what's happening in these correctional institutions.
3: So, Ms. Henneberg, the, the regular publication of this data that BJS was previously collecting has stopped because now, with BJA collecting, the data is not good enough to publish. We've, we've established that. But this failure to report to Congress predates that transition. And Back in 2016, when this report was due, BJS was still running the collection and still running the analysis. So, there's no excuse here that the data is not good enough because BJS was doing a pretty good job by most accounts of collecting that data. Why is this report now six years late? And am I correct that the department did not even award a contract to a contractor to produce this report until September of 2021? Is that correct?
0: That is correct for um, one piece of the study, correct?
3: Well, just so, so, The department did not award a contract to produce this study. And and again, we're talking about studies and contracts and mandates. Let's bring this back to human beings. We're talking about a study whose purpose is to look at data about people dying in prisons and jails and give policymakers at the Department of Justice and the Congress the insight and wisdom based on that data to prevent those deaths, to fulfill an urgent humanitarian purpose. That's why Congress Gave that mandate to the department. And, and what you're telling me is that not only is the report now six years late, but the department did not retain a contractor to produce that report until five years after it was due. Why?
0: Well, as um, Senator, thank you for for that question, um, and it's a good question. Um, BJA began collecting the data in um, fiscal year twenty twenty, so October of two thousand nineteen. Um, in Data needed to be collected to study. I mean that is what DICRA 2013 is calling for collect the data and then um, study Mm -hmm. um, Study the data so that we can um, Understand the
3: deaths, but it was due in in 2016 Let me how about how about let's let's be forward-looking here Can you give us a date certain when Congress will receive this report that is now six years overdue?
0: Um, there are two parts of that um, study one we do have a draft um, par- the first part um, and it's um, discussed in our, um, our report that we put out last week um, that will be um, available um, we are estimating by the um, end of calendar year 2022, 22, and the other is a multi-year effort by NIJ that's not only using the data that is being collected under DICRA 2013, but also other sources. Um, the data elements and the data being collected um, under Dicker 2013 was, isn't sufficient to meet the purposes of um, the study and the, the scope of the study. So we are expecting that in 2024.
3: Eight years late. Thank you, Ms. Henneberg.
1: Senator Ossoff is, at the end of this tiering, really putting a pin in this, that for the, the second iteration, right, so we're not even talking about the first iteration of the Deaths in Custody Reporting Act that started in 2000, the second iteration from 2013, and it, it kind of starts in 2014, we still don't have a a report on the data that has been collected in a way that allows for not just Congress to develop policies for prevention, and providing better care for those that are in the criminal legal system, in our jails, in our prisons, but quite frankly for physicians and public health providers and professionals that operate jails, right, for local municipalities to consume and understand what can they be doing differently? What are are the prevention strategies? Do we see a whole bunch of suicides in this particular jurisdiction and we need to put these suicide prevention strategies levers in place? Is it hypertensive and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or heart disease to be short? Um, uh, Is it homicides and where are those homicides occurring? Uh, Are there homicides by other inmates or homicides by law enforcement or jailers depending on the phase of death in custody? And then being able to utilize these findings in order to establish prevention constructs, right? We don't have the data, and currently there's no data being collected. And then the data that is being collected, particularly state and local data, is not going to be published for anyone to see, for anyone to react to, and anyone to develop strategies for. And it's not this particular bureaucrat who's testifying. It's not about her. She's just there in place of the system that is failing, But again, the fact that Ossoff and this committee, the Senate committee subcommittee, is doing the work of being diligent to ask these questions, and quite frankly, the people that are listening to our podcast now, it's probably the first time they've ever heard it. They probably don't even know that this is happening, and that's the importance of the podcast, importance of the book, that we are bringing to light this issue that some people at very high stations in this government and in this country are looking at. But I think that it's important for the citizenry, the people that are listening, to think differently about this and start talking about how we can capture better data on on, on who's dying in the custody of our criminal legal system.
2: I think the only thing I'd want to add to that is that Senator Ossoff and, and Senator Johnson and the people in the, uh, in the hearing room are all talking about a public health problem, but they haven't quite made the leap to looking for public health solutions to that so public good. health problem. And and what I would love to do is, is sit down with you and Senator Ossoff and Senator Johnson and, uh, and others who care about this and explain what a public health approach to a public health problem might look like and how we can sidestep some of the challenges that we're facing in the implementation of the Death in Custody Reporting Act and how, we really need the legal infrastructure and the public health infrastructure of this country to work together to solve this problem, which is a humanitarian crisis. It is a violation of fundamental constitutional and human rights. It's all of the things that John Ossoff called it. And we have the capacity to begin to address the problem if we take the public health approach. And so that's the core argument of our book. That's the core argument of the work that you've been doing for the past 25 years. And we hope it gets picked up as the core strategy that the government uses to deal with this massive problem that we have in our country.
1: Well, I'm Dr. Roger Mitchell, Jr. I'm a forensic pathologist.
2: I'm Jay Aronson, a historian and human rights practitioner.
1: And on this episode of Official Ignorance, the Death in Custody podcast, we've been talking through a Senate hearing of Homeland Security and a Government fair's Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, a hearing on the uncounted deaths in U.S. prisons.
2: And the conclusion that the hearing comes to is that this is a public health problem, it's a humanitarian crisis, and we need to do something about it if we are going to be fair to the people of this country.
0: Official Ignorance, the Death in Custody
4: podcast.